Thank you, Amy and Ricky, for that ministry and music. I don't need to tell you that we are living in a sin-ridden world. We always need to be on guard that the sin or ills of our society do not permeate into the church. We live in a period of time where there is a real crisis in authority. Those who are in authority often tend to abuse it and pervert it. Those who are to be under authority tend to reject it, kick at it, seek to rebel against it and overthrow it. As a result, there is a crisis in all aspects of leadership in our world. The institutions of leadership. There's a crisis of authority in the home, in the school, in the workplace, and yes, and all too often in the church as well. Today we have just installed Greg Gray to be an elder in our church. So it would be appropriate to address what the Bible has to say about leadership in the church and our response as Christians to that leadership. Such a topic is quite broad and could take us down many different avenues. So I have decided to restrain myself and limit myself to these two verses that are found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. So if you would, if you would turn with me in your Bibles there, it reads, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. This morning, I'm going to focus on just two things. First, the leader's responsibility to the congregation. And then, secondly, the congregation's responsibility to the leader. So, first, we look at the leadership's responsibility to the congregation. While the leadership's responsibility is not directly addressed in these two verses, it is and can be deduced from what is to be appreciated in leaders. Therefore, it is the leadership's responsibility to faithfully work hard for the benefit of God's people. Verse 12. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those, and now these words, who diligently labor among you. Diligently labor among you. So that is one of the first responsibilities, to diligently labor among God's people. In this diligence, he should do his work as a labor of love. First Thessalonians 5.12 But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor uh, among you. The same root that's found in First Thessalonians 1.3 that we looked at two weeks ago. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love. A labor that is produced by love. A love for God and a love for God's people. And that is a theme that's 
repeated throughout the scriptures as a motivating factor for an elder. 1 Peter 5.2 Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for solid gain, but with eagerness. So a leader is to work faithfully out of a love for God and his people. He should do his work faithfully. That which is translated as diligent in the New American Standard is actually a repetition of the word labor. Literally, it would be translated, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who labor and labor among you. The idea there is consistent, habitual labor. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. There is a lot of time and effort that needs to go into being an elder. It is a huge commitment. And such a person cannot give up quickly or easily become discouraged. But they are to continue, to continue, to continue, to continue going on. It's like the energizing bunny. Should never stop. Those people that year in, year out, event in, event out, continue to labor for the Lord. And he should work for the betterment of the congregation. First Thessalonians 5.12, where it says, Diligent labor among you. Among you. This is actually a very difficult phrase to to translate, uh, for those of you that this means anything, it's the preposition end with a dative. And it can be translated in many different ways. Those that labor among you, those who labor with you, those who labor in relationship to you, those that labor for you. All could be legitimate translations of this particular phrase. The idea is that the person doesn't work by themselves. They're not uh, in isolation. An elder is always an elder of a congregation involved with people. And not only, though, is the emphasis on the idea that we need to work together. That comes out later in the text. But I believe here the emphasis is that, that he needs to be working for, on the benefit of, on behalf of the congregation. That the, the betterment of others is what is to be had in view as opposed to selfish gain, as opposed to selfish promotion. And that's where so often in our society, those in leadership fail dramatically. Because they pervert their authority to get ahead themselves, to get wealth, to get prestige, to get honor. They are in it for themselves. And in the scripture, authority is always to be exercised for the benefit of others. So that God gives parents for the benefit of the children to watch over them and protect them. God gives teachers for the benefit of those that they're going to be instructed. God gives leaders for the benefit of those nations that are going to be under their care. God gives elders for the benefit of the congregation to cause it to, to grow and to go forward and to develop and to mature. And so the exercise of leadership is for the benefit of others. And it is leadership's responsibility, secondly, to look after God's family. 
First Thessalonians 5.12 But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you. And then these words, and have charge over you. That's, a, again, an interesting translation, to have charge over you. What does it mean to be in charge or to have charge over someone else? Usually in modern day English, we think of a, a, of a child that you have charge of. Well, it is a word that is used to describe the care that one who is to be an elder should have over his own family. Listen how this word is used in First Timothy. He must be one who manages his own household well. This word translated to manage his household well is the same that's here to have charge over. Keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Thus, to exercise leadership in the church is akin to exercising leadership in the family. It is like being a father of the congregation, as one is the father of a household. Thus, to exercise leadership in the church is akin to exercising leadership in the family. That is why the elder's family life is a testing and training ground for leadership in the church, which is God's family. One of the qualifications of an elder is that he must rule his family well. Why? Because if he can't manage his own family, how can he manage God's family? If he can't be a good father to his own family, how can he be a good father to the congregation? For that is the kind of leadership that is to be manifested and expressed. It's one of a parenting role. It gives us then great insight as to how the leadership is to be manifested, how it's to work in the life of a church. A church is to be like a family. And the elders are to be like the fathers. In fact, one of the primary designations been down through the church history. When you think about the patriarchs that went before, we call them the church fathers. The church fathers. For that is the role. They are to be the, the fathers of the congregation. All the while, the leader must recognize that it is God's family that is overseeing and thus is responsible to and must give account to the Lord. So in 1 Thessalonians 5.12 it says, Have charge over you in the Lord. Hebrews 13.17 says, Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. An elder must give an account of how he exercises that leadership in the life of the church. The third main responsibility of leadership is to give sound advice, guidance, or counsel to God's people. Notice the end of verse 12. Have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Give you instruction. This word to give instruction is much more than merely to impart knowledge. It's more than just teaching Bible stories. It's more than just 
conveying content of biblical truth. The main emphasis is to teach with a view to application. Help people to see how the Word of God is to govern their actions and conduct. Help them to make godly decisions and teach them how to discern the Word of God. Back to the primary responsibility of an elder to parent the congregation. You think of a a father in a household. And a father is to instruct his children. That means more than simply having daily devotions for 5, 10, 15, or even half an hour. But according to Deuteronomy 6, we're to be speaking of things of the Lord from our down-sitting to our uprising. But throughout the day, we are to be teaching our children how to walk with God. We're to be teaching our children how to make good decisions. We are to be warning them about bad decisions. We are to be enabling our children to grow up to honor God. Establish families of their own. As you think about that imagery, it all comes to play in this word to instruct. It's to give counsel. It is to encourage. It is to warn. It is to teach. It is to apply. It is to help our church see the way that we should go. And help us all to grow in maturity in making wise and godly decisions, establishing our own families, and then causing those families in turn to grow up to serve and honor the God. All that a parent does is what an elder is to do in God's family, the church. Secondly, the responsibility of the congregation to the leadership of the church. Here we have a request in verse 12. But we request of you, Paul, Paul writing to the Thessalonian congregation, we request of you, NIV, now we ask of you, brothers. First Thessalonians 5.12, we beseech you, brothers. I, I find this to be rather interesting as I work through and translate these verses. For the first thing that struck me is that this is not a command. It is indeed a request. I beseech you, I request you, I ask of you. And I then asked myself the question, well, well, why isn't this a command? Certainly, Paul is not reluctant to issue commands. It is not that he's politically correct and, and, and doesn't tell us what to do, as it were. Second Thessalonians 3, 4. Uh, and we have confidence, Lord, concerning you that you are doing and continue to do what we command, Second Thessalonians 3.6, Now we command you, brethren. Second Thessalonians 3.12, Now such persons we command and exhort the Lord Jesus. Paul gives a lot of commands. A lot of commands. But this isn't a command. It's a request. It's a request. Here Paul requests that the Thessalonians respect their Leaders. Why? I think there's a great lesson here. And that is that true respect cannot be demanded. 
It must be given. Let me illustrate that. One of the things that has always struck me is that thankfulness cannot be demanded. It must be given. Thankfulness must be a natural outflow of appreciation. Now, we can try to teach our children to be thankful. And we can say to our children, when someone hands them something, now what do we say? And they say, thank you. We can demand of them, if you will, the words. You must say thank you. And we can get them to say the words, but we can't really produce thankfulness. We can try to help them see the need to be thankful, but real thankfulness is not that which is prompted by someone else saying you must be thankful. It is the natural outflow of appreciation and gratitude of the heart. So in like manner, respect is not merely the words that we use in addressing our leaders or the manner in which we treat our leaders, but it is the regard, appreciation, the value that we actually place upon our leaders. It is not that which is outward, it's that which is inward. It's an attitude. It's a, a matter of the heart. Thus, it must be sincere. It must be genuine. And so Paul doesn't demand it. He requests it. So what is going to promote that respect? What is going to enhance that respect? How can that be produced in our lives? Just as we teach our children to say thank you, how can we teach people to be respectful of leaders? Three things. First, the responsibility of the congregation to leadership is to get to know those who are leaders in the church. Verse 12. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate NAS, NIV, respect those who work hard among you, King James, to know them which labor among you. The most literal translation is the King James, to know those that labor among you. Appreciate and respect anticipates verse 13. That you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. We are to respect them. We are to appreciate them. But that's down the road. The first admonition, the first request is get to know these people. Know them as persons. Know what motivates them, drives them, makes them tick. Know what they are experiencing, what they're going through. The struggles that they encounter. Learn to appreciate, value them as individuals. See how they are interacting in their families. See how they have handled the challenges that have come into their families. See the wise decisions that they have made in their families. Know them. And you will begin to trust them. Is the idea. 
that you will see them worthy of respect. Secondly, the responsibility of the congregation to leadership is to value their service. Verse 13. And that you esteem them very, very highly in love because of their work. The work that our elders are engaged in is a good work. Our brother Jack, as he prayed this morning, referred to this particular verse, 1 Timothy 3.1. It is a trustworthy statement. If a man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. The work is the oversight and encouragement of God's people. And we are to value that oversight and advice. In other words, we are to value the position. We are to be grateful that God has given the church elders. Before we ever begin to look at the individual elders, just be thankful that in the sovereignty and goodness of God, He has given to us elders. Just as we ought to be thankful that God has given us parents. That God has provided for His church this position of eldership. And it's a wonderful position that's of great value and worth to the church and is greatly, greatly, greatly underestimated. Let me tell you one of the things that I value as a pastor in the Bible Fellowship Church. And that is, I believe we follow the New Testament example, which is a pastor is an elder, not the elder in a church. There are church governments that understand that the pastor is the elder. He makes all the decisions. He provides all the spiritual oversight. He's the head honcho. That's not true in our church. In our church, the pastor is one among other elders. And we have a body of elders that oversee the life of the church. And it's one of the many reasons that we enjoy the peace that we do. It's because we follow the form of government that God's word provides. You can get into all kinds of difficulties if the pastor becomes a dictator. If the pastor says, this is what we're doing, like it or lump it, this is where we're going. I don't have that kind of authority in this church. God never intended for anyone to have that kind of authority in the church. In the New Testament, elders is always plural. It's shared responsibility. It is shared oversight. It is shared direction. And so we ought to be thankful that that's what God has provided for us. It's the best form of government there is. This rule by elder. So we're to evaluate, we're to appreciate the position and then appreciate what the position is to do. To give the oversight, to give the direction, to give the leading and direction of the congregation. It's a great responsibility. But if we appreciate it, it has two practical outcomes. First, we avail ourselves of their counsel. Back to the imagery of the family. So much of this goes back. If you've got a good family relationship, 
Then the church as a family. That imagery of, of brothers and sisters in Christ. That imagery of, of the, pastor, the, the elders being, being fathers means a great deal. Okay? So go back to the imagery of the family. The idea of honoring your father and mother is more than just saying please and thank you. It's more than just sending a card on Mother's Day or Father's Day. Or giving them a gift on their birthday. To honor father and mother is is to respect, to appreciate, to value, to value our mother and father so that we listen to them. We heed their instruction. We follow their warnings. We appreciate their leadership and direction. We seek their counsel, their advice, their wisdom. We look up to them, if you will. And that's what is to happen in the life of the church. That the congregation is to look up to its leaders rather than to instruct them and teach them. They are to follow. Just as in the home, the child isn't supposed to instruct the parents and tell them how to raise the family. So too in the life of the church. And it all works if there's mutual respect and accountability. For notice verse 13. And esteem them very highly. Now this phrase, in love, because of their work. We are to love them. Interesting, not because of who they are, but because of what they do. We love them because of their position. Let's go back to the family. Honor your father and mother. You're to love your mom and dad. Because they're your mom and dad. For no other reason. Now, hopefully there's a lot of other good reason. Because of the kind of mom and dad that they are. But you're to love them simply because they're your mom and they're your dad. And we're to love our leaders simply because they're our leaders. And so we love them. And the way that that works out practically is if we love our mothers and our fathers, then honor is simple. And obedience is quick and ready. I was blessed. I had parents that were easy to love. They were worthy of love. Not just because they were my mom and dad, but because of the kind of mom and dad that they were. And I wanted to please them. I didn't want to disgrace them. I didn't want to disappoint them. And it was a huge motivation for me to follow them simply because I loved them. I asked their advice, their counsel, well into my adult years. I'd call my dad up, call my mom up, say, what do you think about this? 
What do you think I'd do in this situation? I love them. I love them. So we are to love those who are our leaders. And our leaders, in turn, are to love us. Lastly, the responsibility of the congregation to leadership is to be at peace. Look at verse 13. And that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. It's the final admonition. It's the final instruction. And it's the first command. Live in peace. It's a choice. And we are to be at peace with one another. This admonition admonition is not necessarily corrective, meaning that they weren't necessarily fighting, and now that has to come to a place of stopping and come to a place of peace. This admonition may very well be preventative. They're experiencing peace. Be sure that it continues. Maintain that peace. Don't let unrest start or set in, as opposed to squelching the unrest. Peace will be the outcome of the fulfillment of the other two responsibilities. If our, if our leaders are leading correctly, not selfishly, not for their own aggrandizement, for the betterment of God's people, out of recognition that they are under the authority of God and can't do anything they want, but they must do that which is pleasing in His sight, and they are doing it as a parent would parent their own household. And if the congregation is responding in appreciation, if they really know their elders and they're thankful for their work and what they are doing, the result is going to be peace. Live at peace. We live in a society where peace is rare. There's not peace among nations. There's not peace within the borders of nations. There are a lot of families in which there's no peace in the household. And everybody's at each other's throats. And there are a lot of schools where there's no peace. And there actually has to be policemen in the hallways to try and maintain peace. And yes, there are a lot of churches in which there's no peace. There's a lot of unrest. People fighting and arguing and splitting and, and going their own ways. Because authority has broken down in our society. Those that have authority abuse it and pervert it left and right. And those that are under the authority don't appreciate it, don't accept it, don't honor it, and want to fight against it all the time. They want to be an authority. They don't want to have somebody over them. But in the sovereignty of God, when authority is exercised under the leadership of God, recognizing that all of us are ultimately responsible to Him, and is exercised out of a benefit for others and not self-glory or self-aggrandizement, and is taken on with the same attitude that a parent would manage and 
oversee their own family. And when the family members or the congregation can know its leadership, appreciate what they've gone through and who they are and how they conduct their families, and value the position. Thank you, God, that there are parents. Thank you, God, that there are teachers. Thank you, God, that there are earthly governments. And thank you, God, that there are elders. When we have that attitude, we can be at peace and go forward and do the work of God. May God give us that mutual respect and attitude and appreciation of our leaders for our congregation and our congregation for our leaders. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your grace and goodness, and we thank you for elders. We thank you for these individuals that you have given to your church. But before we even thank you for the individuals, we thank you, Lord, for the position. But down through the centuries, we have seen the church fathers. And we have benefited from their decisions, from their godliness, from their oversight, from their direction. As they have, down through the centuries, guarded the truth of your word, have guarded its translation, has preserved the church, and allowed the truth to come down to us today. Thank you for our church fathers. Thank you for the church fathers in our day. For the people that you have raised up to lead our church family. To give direction, counsel, advice, wisdom. To decide the direction that we should take. Lord, may we value that advice. May we value that wisdom. May we not kick against it. May we not just want our own way, doing our own thing, and just want to always instruct somebody else. But Lord, may we be teachable. Lord, I pray for our elders. Help us to guard our hearts against perverting our authority. Lord, uh, keep us from becoming dictators. Keep us from making decisions for our own benefit, our own value, our own promotion, our own worth. Something that we are going to get from it. Lord, Guard our elders that they are always seeking what is best for the congregation, even as, Lord, in our homes, help us as fathers to always seek what is best for our family. Not be selfish in the use of our resources, in the use of our funds, in the use of our time. And as we learn to sacrifice in our home, help us to learn to sacrifice in the church. And then, Lord, as we learn to appreciate the sacrifices of our parents. As we learn to respect their decisions, as we come to understand more fully some of the sacrifices that they have made for the benefits that we enjoy, as we come to look back on and realize some of the things they preserved us from by the things they would not let us do, oh Lord, help us to translate that into the life of the church and to have respect for our leaders, to follow their instruction to follow their direction, to honor them and respect them. So, O oh God, that your work might go forward and we would be at peace. 
I thank you for the peace that this congregation enjoys. We ask, O oh God, that you would keep it. That you would bless us. And may we be an example in our community. May we be a lighthouse. May we show forth the way in which authority is to be exercised and to be appreciated. And it may be a transforming in our families, in our schools, in our governments, in our world. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.